This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Socialist sabotage. Simultaneously professing and subverting American values. The big lie has long been a key weapon in the socialist arsenal. Publicly, they repeatedly profess their support for American values like human rights, freedom of speech, and the responsible use of natural resources. At the same time, they promote policies that endanger people, cancel those whose opinions they oppose, and erode our energy infrastructure. This episode of the Return to Order Moment will examine these leftist lies and the hypocritical words behind them. We begin with the disastrous Defund the Police movement. In this case, the left gives lip service to justice while eliminating the mechanisms that society uses to promote honest enforcement of the law. Mr. John Horvat exposes their doublespeak in his essay, Democrats, don't say we want socialism or to defund the police, even when we do. The 2020 razor-thin margin of victory in the House and Senate forced some Democratic Party officials to do some soul-searching. They wanted to know what went wrong in an election that they framed as a victory. The fragile win was much too close to call a mandate and a bit too precarious to be duplicated. Thus, several Democratic advocacy groups ordered a review of the 2020 election to get a serious look at the state of the party. What they found was unsettling to a political current that thinks that its ideas are on the crest of a wave of popularity. The 73-page report found that the Democratic Party is losing ground among those it has always counted on to deliver the vote, Black, Hispanic, and Asian American voters. These voting blocks are not monolithic, and fissures are appearing. Many liberal Americans are scared of the party's socialist ideas. They rightly fear that the far left's call to defund the police will take the nation to chaos and anarchy. The report's conclusion is clear. It said that the Democrats have a messaging problem. A more accurate assessment would be that the party has an ideological problem. Indeed, Democrats need to jettison the leftist ideology that is dragging the party to ruin. Failure to change will mean that the party will not repeat the 2020 victory in the coming elections. Three major Democratic interest groups, Third Way, The Collective PAC, and the Latino Victory Fund commissioned the report that was full of self-criticism and lamentations. However, the language of the study was not so blunt as to say that the leftist positions of the candidates were wrong. Instead, the study blamed Republican success in misrepresentation, misinformation, and talking point development. The comprehensive study took six months to complete. It analyzed three dozen races for the House and Senate and interviewed 143 key people, including lawmakers, candidates, and pollsters. The report reviewed Senate and House elections in both red and blue states. The report demolishes the myth of a united Democratic Party. It shows that party leadership has lost touch with its base. Moreover, there is little consensus among Democrats about how to deal with the shortcomings. The first shortcoming is that the radical left dominated the debate inside the party in 2020. Its talking points repeatedly drilled into the American public with no internal opposition. 
As a result, its radical agenda became the party's agenda, despite the electorate's concerns. Quote, Win or lose, self-described progressive or moderate, Democrats consistently raised a lack of strong Democratic Party brand as a significant concern in 2020, the report concluded. In the absence of strong party branding, the opposition latched onto GOP talking points, suggesting our candidates would burn down your house and take away the police, unquote. The shift served as ammunition for Republicans to warn the electorate of the disasters that would lie ahead. Republicans did not have to misrepresent the Democratic Party line. They just had to repeat it to an uneasy nation. Moderate Democrats, if they exist, did not condemn the toxic rhetoric of the radicals. In the absence of any coherent program, the radicals' cry for revolution became the party's default message. As a result, voters rejected many candidates, even as they voted for the slightly more quote-unquote moderate Mr. Biden. Even the presidential victory was not a mandate for the party's core message, but the natural outcome of bitter anti-Trump sentiment, much like the anti-Hillary malaise that catapulted the Republican candidate to victory four years before. Such feelings will not be present in the 2022 elections, when Democrats have to run on something tangibly part of the real world. The study highlighted two issues that do not bode well for the Democrats. These issues are linked to the party program and unlikely to see change. The study does not recommend that they be abandoned. However, it strongly urges the party to repackage them to make them more palatable to the American public. The first issue is socialism. Democrats try to avoid the word socialism. However, this does not stop them from proposing massive programs, huge governments, entitlements, and immorality. Consequently, regardless of what they say, the Democrats do reflect socialist doctrines. There is no way around this conclusion. The socialist mindset pushes an anti-Christian, anti-property, and anti-morality agenda that divides the American people into a false, Marxist class struggle narrative. Thus, the report finds that the socialist brand label proved particularly noxious to Hispanic workers, who have worked hard to accumulate earnings or who fled from socialist countries. Many others resent the anti-free enterprise tone of the COVID lockdowns that shut down the economy and showed no hurry to reopen. The second issue that damaged the Democratic brand is their push to defund the police. This is not a misrepresentation of the party's position. On the contrary, elected officials from the party have proudly done it. At the height of the riots last summer, Democrat-controlled cities slashed police budgets as a dramatic gesture against police, quote-unquote, violence. A corresponding crime wave has since forced mayors and city councils to refund the police. The study found that the term defund is highly unpopular, especially in the black communities that supposedly are the victims of police brutality. The call to defund may please Black Lives Matter militants, but not poor blacks living in crime-infested areas. The report called on Democrats to change their defunding package. 
call it reimagining, reallocating, or re-anything, but stay away from the toxic word defund. America's respect for law and order makes police defunding a high-tension wire. The reaction to the report is not at all positive. Radical left Democrats, especially those on the East and West Coasts, have not toned down their rhetoric, making it problematic for the party to modify its message. Such reluctance is a gift to Republicans, who have only to repeat the left's radical messages to score points. Indeed, some leftists complain that there is nothing wrong with the message and that the party is using the criticism to scapegoat activists for its own failures. They think the solution is to introduce even more socialism, not less. Quote-unquote moderate Democrats on their part are acting like radicals. Almost all have voted for the most radical proposals, such as the federal voting control bill, quote-unquote infrastructure projects, and the Equality Act. On the other hand, no one has loudly denounced the party's socialist or anti-police ideology. The urgent recommendation to change is alarming because it is not aimed at changing the Democrats' bad ideas, but only their packaging. The report seems to be coaching candidates, don't say we want socialism or to defund the police, even when we do. Alas, Asking Democrats to renounce socialism and anti-police ideology is almost like asking them to stop being Democrats. For many years, the American Civil Liberties Union has promoted itself as a protector of the First Amendment. Most of the time, they quietly promoted radical notions of free speech that sped the disintegration of American society, like pornography and removing any vestiges of religion from the public square. However, on occasion, they polished their image by loudly defending those whose ideas they opposed, as when a group of neo-Nazis wanted to march in a Chicago suburb with a largely Jewish population in 1977. Whether they were promoting radical leftism or defending Hitler-style insanity, their goal has always been the same. They always took the side that would create chaos. Recently, however, the ACLU has dropped its free speech pretenses. Mr. Edwin Benson examines this change in strategy in his article, An Identity Crisis at the ACLU Leads It to Discard the First Amendment. Few organizations have contributed more to the disorder of American politics and jurisprudence than the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU. Its defense of subversive causes served to undermine freedom. However, now the organization is targeted by chaos from within. Its members are calling it structurally racist. Indeed, the world of quote-unquote woke is coming for the ACLU with a vengeance. Since its origin in 1920, the ACLU claims to carry the banner of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Its philosophy might be summarized by Voltaire's famous quotation, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Thus, the ACLU's causes included anarchy, communism, pornography, and sodomy. At the same time, it built a facade of impartiality by legally defending the Ku Klux Klan and Nazi groups. 
The ACLU's first executive director, Roger Baldwin, embodied the ACLU mission. He was imprisoned as a quote-unquote conscientious objector during World War I. By his admission, he fell under the influence of the anarchist Emma Goldman and joined the radical union Industrial Workers of the World. In 1927, he wrote glowingly about the Bolsheviks in his book, Liberty Under the Soviets. However, the ACLU's willingness to defend anyone catapulted Mr. Baldwin to the undeserved prominence of a fiery defender of freedom. In 1947, General Douglas MacArthur invited him to Japan to help inculcate free speech values in the wake of World War II. The new governments of Germany and Austria asked him to do similar work as they struggled to emerge from the disaster of Nazism. He was fond of saying things like, quote, I'm a radical in the sense that the Bill of Rights is radical, unquote. He could sound patriotic when defending organizations that undermined law and order. A few months before his death, President Carter awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. However, the facade of objectivity has come tumbling down. The woke movement has no respect for history, even its own. It is equally willing to topple statues of Robert E. Lee and Frederick Douglass. The quote-unquote Great Society of the 60s and the John Birch Society are both considered complicit in perpetuating quote-unquote white supremacy. It protested against the ultra-liberal Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and President Trump. The ACLU's troubles are described in a New York Times article, Once a Bastion of Free Speech, the ACLU Faces an Identity Crisis. The Times refers to the ACLU as, quote, America's high temple of free speech and civil liberties, unquote. However, the article shows how the ACLU's internal disputes are taking it away from its, quote, unquote, original and unique mission. Like many liberal institutions, the ACLU is turning woke and forcing its leadership to grovel to the Times. The old liberals are represented by the current executive director, Anthony Romero. He cites several cases as proof that the organization's goals are unchanged. The ACLU defended the National Rifle Association against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and even opposed the banning of former President Trump from social media. However, the Trump election proved to be a turning point for the ACLU. Throughout his term, the ACLU fought him on virtually everything. The organization spent $800,000 supporting the aspirations of failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams and another million dollars on ads against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. When the administration sought to protect the rights of men accused of violating Title IX regulations, the ACLU dismissed a case it normally would have taken as a move that, quote, promotes an unfair process inappropriately favoring the accused, unquote. The article admits that the Trump presidency was a bonanza for the ACLU, quote, more than $1 million in donations loosed into their coffers within 24 hours, and tens of millions of dollars followed in 2017, making the organization far better funded than ever before, unquote. 
indeed, their budget tripled to more than $300 million a year. Those extra funds allowed the ACLU to hire a new slate of young, woke lawyers that are now leading an internal revolt. They refer to the old school leadership as privileged, clueless, out of touch, and oblivious to the ACLU's institutional racism. They argue that freedom of speech conflicts with the organization's advocacy of expanded voting rights, reparations, transgender rights, and defunding the police. Indeed, they even contend that, quote, First Amendment protections are disproportionately enjoyed by people of power and privilege, unquote. The woke appear to be carrying the day. In 2015, the organization refused to defend a student journalist kicked out of a campus protest against racism. The ACLU's Connecticut chapter is demanding that the University of Connecticut require coursework in critical race theory. The revolutionaries are insisting that the ACLU, quote, no longer defend white supremacists, unquote. New ACLU guidelines ask its attorneys to, quote, unquote, balance the effect of taking a, quote, unquote, right-wing free speech case against the offense that taking the case might bring to, quote, unquote, marginalized groups. The problems of the ACLU are similar to those of many liberal organizations. Its liberalism eventually leads to the tyranny of its ideas. The facade of freedom has to come crumbling down to be consistent with the liberal desire to be free of all restraints. The ACLU's betrayal of its mission is no surprise to those who have long watched it demolish the role of families, schools, and laws that upheld traditional values and the church. Indeed, the ACLU is now showing its true face. Perhaps the areas of life in which the leftists are most blind is in the connection between energy and ecology. They lay awake at nights, worrying that the energy providers are permanently and blindingly damaging the Earth's ecosystem. The reality that energy companies have developed cleaner processes while the socialists in Russia and China continue to pollute evades them. Their myopia extends so far that they are quite willing to see Americans return to a pre-electrical state while extolling government control as the only way to avert disaster. Unfortunately, the energy companies are abandoning their own interest and those of their customers to sign on to the demands of the radicals. Mr. John Horvat looks at the motivations behind this suicidal strategy when he writes about how the Greens are taking down big energy from within. The left exploits the Green Revolution to further its ecological agenda of destroying the present economic system. Its special target has long been big oil, which plays a dominant role in the global economy. Bolstered by the support of big media, green activists are trying hard to bring the present system down. The Greens' relentless war on oil and gas usually involves a battle of data and reports. For decades, the left has presented the inconvenient truth of dire hockey stick graph predictions that are constantly pushed back when doomsday fails to arrive. The oil companies defend themselves by pointing their conservation efforts and impressive record in safeguarding the environment. This lopsided battle between tiny green and big oil was doomed to fail. 
until now. However, Greta Thunberg or other strange poster children are not the ones responsible for any victories. The secret weapon is that big oil is now going green. Shareholding activists seek to force energy giants to change sides and reimagine themselves by transitioning into carbon suppressors to reach zero emission goals. The only way to do this is to make the companies do it themselves from the inside. From a technical perspective, things could not be better for oil in general. The peak oil hypothesis that the world would soon run out of crude is hopelessly outdated and discredited. No one talks about it anymore. The world has more oil than ever. Fracking has increased the supply and reversed America's decline in oil and gas production. America now leads the world in the production and export of some grades of oil and natural gas. However, the psychological climate has changed drastically as people are exposed to increasing doomsday predictions. The Biden administration's return to the Paris Accords has given new impetus to demoralized Greens. The COVID crisis battled oil futures and consumption and disrupted production schedules. A massive media offense is making Green ever more popular among the environmentally woke. The greatest danger for the oil industry is the little green suicide pill. The politics of surrender has entered the boardrooms of the energy sector, prompting it to adopt measures once unthinkable. Part of the unthinkable happened just recently, when a little hedge fund, unecologically called Engine Number 1, turned the corporate system against itself. It presented a green-friendly slate of four candidates for election to Exxon's 12-member board. Three were elected and promised to push their agenda to center stage. Not surprisingly, the tiny fund with an infinitesimally small stock holding in Exxon made common cause with massive blue state pension funds, New York and California, who voted for the candidates. These giant funds see no hypocrisy in holding vast numbers of shares in unclean energy while capitalizing on its ill-begotten oil profits. Big money piled on the eco-assault. Vanguard, State Street, and BlackRock, with a combined ownership of over one-fifth of all Exxon stock, supported part of the green slate. The green perspective has always fit into the most radical zones of the leftist spectrum. It dovetails neatly with Marxist egalitarian obsessions. Marx rejected income inequality and pitted one class against another in search of an ever-elusive equality brotherhood. Green ideology takes the equality ideology a step further by contesting the dominion of humanity over creation. It has a problem with the divine mandate in which God puts all nature at the service of humanity. See Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. For the Greens, all things... Animals, plants, minerals, and lastly, man, have equal rights that trump human development and progress. Some deep ecology radicals go so far as to declare humanity a harmful virus that must be eliminated. The Greens promote an anti-human agenda that targets world populations and civilization. They delight in demographic meltdown, degrowth, and industrial rust belts. 
Their idea is a quote-unquote noble savage harmony with nature that reduces humanity to the most primitive state and numbers. Companies like Exxon and its supporting establishment are obstacles that must be eliminated so that Greens can realize their hopelessly idyllic dreams of primitive tribal life. Big Oil's destruction is part of the eco-suicide of the West and all its philosophical, social, and moral infrastructure. A Wall Street Journal editorial, June 10, 2021, recognizes this disaster, saying that, quote, the U.S. is barreling toward one of the greatest self-inflicted wounds in its history, unquote. Defunding Exxon is not the way to stop this collapse. Big oil, like so many gigantic conglomerates, is a cold, impersonal, rationalized product of modernity. Massive economic structures do not inspire anyone to noble deeds in defense of strong principles. The regeneration of the West will only happen with a return to its Christian roots. What is needed is a counter-paradigm of a society based on an organic, personal order that corresponds to human nature. Such an order represents a true harmony with nature, following the biblical mandate of governing over creation and building a splendorous creation that will give glory to God. This concludes Socialist Sabotage simultaneously professing and subverting American values. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website www.returntoorder.org or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.